guys, and welcome to the Moms and Mysteries podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. We just had a brief rundown (laughs) of our recent travels. We both went to North Carolina this past week. We did. Not with each other, though. No. How was your trip to North Carolina? I didn't even ask. (laughs) My trip to North Carolina was great. I just went to visit my friend Ashley. She's just like one of the funniest and just most down to earth people. Okay. Of course. Okay. Of course. Don't start it that way. No one can compete with you, Melissa. But um, I just love her. Yeah. So it was just the two of us, just us girls for the weekend. And we didn't really do a whole lot. Surprisingly, it was really cold there. And uh, the day that I arrived on Friday, it was raining all day. So the weather wasn't great, you know, on Saturday or Sunday, really. And then I left. So. Yeah, but I know that you also got a taste of bad weather in North Carolina. <laughs> my my trip was very uneventful. I definitely didn't get stuck at the bottom of a mountain while my family was at the top of a mountain in a <laughs> snowstorm for 24 hours. That didn't happen. It's a comedy of errors and a very Melissa story. I won't bore you guys with that, but um, Mandy, you enjoyed it. It's It's like I don't have a normal trip. I can't just say I didn't do a lot of things. I hung out with my friend. It was great. Like acts of God are happening. Nature is (laughs) attacking me. It's just a mess. But it was really beautiful. We went to Boone and it is a beautiful area. And I'd love to go back again, not in the middle middle of a um, snowstorm. It sounded like more than a snowstorm, but it was crazy. (laughs) And we're from Florida. So automatically it was way worse. But like yeah, it turns out driving a van up a mountain <laughs> in a snowstorm, it doesn't work. Just FYI to those of you who are going to try it, um, it doesn't work. But Mandy and I both used our Vessi shoes this week, if you've listened to our ads, and they worked well for both of us. So there you go. There you go. I think you gave them a really good test run in I the did. weather that you were in with the snow. Yeah. I considered walking a mile and a half up <laughs> <laughs> with just my Vessies. You were like, and, I can um, do anything. I have Vessies on. <laughs> I should be their entire marketing team at this point. So <laughs> so Mandy, happy to be back here in Florida. Happy to be speaking with you. And I'm ready to get into this story this week if you are. Yeah, absolutely. So growing up with a close-knit family is something that unfortunately not everybody is lucky enough to have. In fact, many of the stories that we tell on the podcast involve some element of family dysfunction that has played a big or small role in the story. But for Christopher, or CJ Sayers, family was everything to him, and he was everything to his family. We had the opportunity to talk with some of CJ's family, and it was glaringly obvious how much they love him and what a huge part of their lives he was. CJ was born on December 13, 1997, to parents Patty and Chris, and he grew up in Grafton, Ohio, with two sisters named Alyssa and Sierra. Growing up, CJ was extremely close with his sisters, and this was something that made their mom, Patty, very happy. Family continued to be one of the most important things, even as CJ got older and he and his sisters grew into adults. When Sierra became a mom, CJ was the perfect, proud uncle. He was very close with Sierra's kids and loved spending time with them. CJ was the type of person that could make a friend anywhere and everywhere he went. He never held a grudge, and even when he was upset or angry, he would never leave or hang up the phone without saying, I love you, no matter what the circumstances were. He wore his heart on his sleeve, and he would gladly go out of his way to help anybody in need. 
one of the things CJ's family told us about him is that he had this infectious laugh that they said sounded exactly like SpongeBob's laugh. And anytime he was around you, you could really just feel his warm personality in the room. CJ was a people person who loved to be around his family and just be around others in general. He loved to make people laugh, and he was really good at that. In 2019, CJ and his girlfriend at the time, Lydia, welcomed a baby girl that they named Abby. Having always been a man with a strong sense of family, CJ was the image of a doting new dad. From the moment his daughter was born, there was nothing that CJ wanted to do more than spend as much time with her as possible. They did many things together, including going to the county fair, visiting an alpaca farm, going swimming, trick-or-treating, checking out the nature preserve, just to name a few of the things that they did together. CJ was so proud of Abby and proud to be her dad. He often shared photos of her and the adventures they went on together on his Facebook page. A quick look through some of the photos that he shared really shows just how much of a daddy's girl Abby was. She looks just like CJ, and the family said that Abby even had the exact same laugh as him, too. Unfortunately, though, things didn't work out between CJ and Abby's mom, Lydia. In March of 2021, when Abby was just a toddler, the young parents split up. The once effortless relationship that CJ had with his daughter soon became strained by no fault of his own. Lydia quickly started dating again and frequently moved herself and Abby in with different men, which really bothered CJ. He was constantly worried about where Abby was or who she was around where she was sleeping even, and in general, he was just worried about her well-being. Being the family-oriented person that he was, it was important to CJ that Abby grow up in a home with both of her parents. So he decided to give the relationship with Lydia another try, and the two got back together. Sadly, they were really just like oil and water. They couldn't get along no matter how much they tried to make it work, so they ended the relationship again. For a while, though, they continued sort of an on-and-off-again relationship. When CJ wasn't trying to work on things with Lydia, he sometimes dated another woman named Lexi. In the fall of 2021, CJ and Lydia ended things for good. CJ got back together with Lexi, who helped him to go to court to get his parental rights to Abby, as well as to get signed up to pay child support. Lydia also moved on, and she began dating a 22-year-old man named Cody Rutledge. Not long after Cody entered the picture, in around September of 2021, Lydia and Abby moved in with him. Just as CJ had worried about Abby and the people she was around before, he felt the same way about Abby living with Cody, too. CJ had a major reason to be on edge. Lydia and Cody had started telling Abby that Cody was actually her father, and they would tell CJ the same thing, that Cody was going to be Abby's new dad. On a near daily basis, CJ was harassed with these hurtful statements about how Abby was going to live with Cody and they were all going to sleep together in the same bed as one big family. So CJ obviously didn't like this and did not want Abby to even be around Cody, let alone living with him. In November of 2021, just a couple of months after moving in with Cody, Lydia called CJ's sister Alyssa and his mom Patty and said that she actually needed help. She said that she was scared of Cody, and she thought Abby was even acting a little weird. So she called Alyssa and Patty and wanted their help to get moved. They did go to her aid, and they started helping her move her things out. While they were there, Cody came outside and asked where CJ was. And he, at this point, was clearly angry and just looking for trouble, looking for a fight. So Cody then started calling CJ on the phone. He was making a scene. He was saying, you know, come over 
bite me very clearly words, you know, with anger. So while all this is going on, Abby was actually with CJ. So Patty and Alyssa told him, of course, don't come over to Cody's house. There's nothing good that's going to come of it. Just stay with Abby. You know, we'll be out of here soon. So Patty and Alyssa finished helping Lydia moving her things and they were going to leave. Before they left, Cody once again asked them where CJ was, and they told him that CJ was not coming over that day, and they weren't going to be getting in a fight. At that point, Cody looked at Patty and Alyssa and lifted up his shirt to reveal a gun, and he said to them, quote, if he steps foot on my property, I got something for him. Thankfully, Patty and Alyssa were able to leave without incident, but this wouldn't be the last time that Cody brandished a gun. Weeks later, on Christmas Day, CJ went to drop Abby off with Lydia so that they could spend some time together for Christmas. At this time, Lydia was staying with her mom, and CJ was under the impression that this relationship between Lydia and Cody was over. But when CJ arrived there to drop off Abby, he was surprised to see that Cody was actually there. He was surprised and really angry. An argument between the men ensued, leading to Cody pulling a gun and pointing it at CJ, all while Abby was nearby. Lydia actually ended up grabbing the gun and told Cody to knock it off. She said, quote, you're not doing this here, end quote. But Cody persisted, and CJ engaged him by saying, quote, come on, let's fight, end quote. So they all went outside, and CJ continued to try to get Cody to fight him. At this point, he's really just had enough and just wants to fight and get this out of the way. So CJ told Cody to put down the gun and to fight him like a man. During this argument, Abby's actually sitting in CJ's car. At some point, Cody pulled the gun out again and actually fired a shot towards CJ, but the bullet went into the ground dangerously close to where Abby was. No one was hurt in this incident, but everyone was shocked and completely outraged that Cody would pull out a gun and fire it in front of or near an innocent child. After this happened, CJ's mom, Patty, told Lydia that she was going to call protective services. At this point, everyone's really worried for Abby's safety. Lydia sarcastically said, quote, they aren't going to do anything. Go ahead and call, end quote. So Patty ended up not calling and Lydia ended up breaking up with Cody and she refused to let him be around her or Abby, at least for a little while. But everyone was really still on edge about Cody. Patty couldn't stop thinking about this gun incident and she couldn't get past it. She had this terrible, sinking feeling about Cody, and she all but begged CJ to stay away from him. Patty would say, quote, he's going to kill you. Nobody gets guns and points them at you unless they're trying to seriously hurt you, end quote. And she would tell CJ, quote, I'm not going to be okay if you're not here, end quote. CJ would always allay his mom's fears and tell her that Cody wasn't actually going to do anything. Meanwhile, things between CJ and Lydia were still complicated. So a little over a month after the Christmas Day fiasco, Lydia called CJ and told him that she wanted to try and work things out with him again. She wanted him to move back in and for the three of them to be a family. Even though CJ wanted nothing more than to be this family, he knew that it was just never going to work between him and Lydia. So he told her no. He said it really wasn't a good idea. And after CJ rejected this proposition, Lydia blocked CJ and got back together with Cody. At some point, Cody started staying with Lydia and Abby at Lydia's mom's house. 
But her mom had a rule that if Cody was there, CJ wasn't allowed to come inside. And if CJ was coming to drop Abby off, then Cody couldn't be there. On Sunday, January 30th, CJ was really excited because it was his day to spend with Abby. They had a great day together. But at some point before CJ took Abby back to Lydia, he called his mom, Patty, and she could hear that CJ was extremely upset. When she asked him what happened, CJ told her that Lydia and Cody had been calling him all day and just trying to start something. They were saying things about Abby, such as that CJ wasn't going to be her dad anymore. So Patty just told CJ to ignore them. But of course, CJ was still upset. And he was saying that, you know, he didn't even want to take Abby back to Lydia that night, even though she was supposed to be back by 8 p.m. So Patty kind of talks CJ down and says, you know, you need to follow the rules. You need to take her home on time. That way you'll be able to pick her up and see her again on your next scheduled day, which was two days later. So CJ agreed and said that he was going to take Abby back to Lydia at the scheduled time. And Patty told him to please text her after he got back home from dropping her off. So Patty waited for that text, but it never came. She continued to text CJ's phone more than 20 times starting at 8 p.m. when CJ was supposed to be dropping Abby off. And she was just asking things like, hey, have you had a chance to drop Abby off yet? Or if you've made it home yet? But CJ never responded to these messages. At some point in the process of using her phone to send and check for text messages, Patty noticed that her phone was actually trying to FaceTime with CJ, and she thought that she had accidentally hit the FaceTime call button while she was frantically texting him, so she clicked the button to quickly end the FaceTime call. About one minute after that missed FaceTime, Patty's phone rang, but it wasn't CJ. Lydia's mom was on the other end, and she was about to deliver some devastating news. Cody had just shot CJ. Unsure about CJ's condition at this time, Patty called her daughters, Alyssa and Sierra, and asked them to go over to Lydia's mom's house. At this point, Patty was about 45 minutes away in Cleveland, so CJ's sisters were going to be able to get over there a lot faster than she was. While Patty made the drive back, she called CJ's dad and told him that CJ had been shot. And we have so much more to get into with this story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. I love a home-cooked meal, and I love a home-cooked meal even more when I'm not the one cooking it. But since that doesn't happen very often, the next best thing is to make my meals with Green Pan. Green Pan introduced the world to ceramic, non-stick cookware, and they have over 150 patents to prove it. Not only is Green Pan non-stick, but they are the leaders in creating cookware without harmful toxins. And if you're wondering why cooking with ceramic cookware even matters, I was shocked to find out that traditional non-stick cookware was made with plastic coatings that can actually turn toxic with heat. And heat is literally like step one of cooking with non-stick cookware. Thankfully, in 2007, Greenpan's founders discovered this and created a new alternative without these forever chemicals. Not only do I love cooking with Greenpan, but the cleanup is a breeze. Thanks to being made of ceramic, not only is it not emitting fumes while I use it, but it actually conducts the heat evenly. I'm really sold on Greenpan, but would you believe I got the teenager seal of approval when my daughter used it the other night to make chicken? She said it was the most delicious chicken she had ever cooked, and she was able to just wipe out the pan to clean it, which if you live with teenagers or menfolk, you know it's extremely important. She also wanted me to tell you guys that it was better than any chicken I've ever made, but that feels like it's just hurtful at this point. Making the switch to Greenpan was so easy, not only for the reasons Melissa shared, but also because 
green pan is so cute. And you've probably heard me say that I will literally buy anything if it's cute. They have so many bright colors and it's sort of like that thing where if you have a cute water bottle, you want to drink more water. Well, with my beautiful and wonderful green pans, I'm ready to cook at any point in the day, knowing my food will be delicious, free of fumes, and easy to clean. And honestly, green pan would make the perfect gift for whatever holiday you're celebrating or just any day that ends in why. It's 2023. Are you still cooking with pans made out of plastic? Head to greenpan.us and use promo code MOMS and you'll receive 30% off your entire order, plus free shipping on orders over $99. That's right, 30% off. Whether you buy one pan or a whole set, that's 30% off. So head to greenpan.us and make sure you use our promo code MOMS. Mandy, did you know that the average person has 12 paid subscriptions? And while I would never consider you average, if I were to guess, I'd venture to say that probably rings true for you too. If 12 is the average, I feel pretty confident in saying that I'm above average. And if you're anything like me, you might also be above average. And if you think 12 sounds like way too many subscriptions... Just think about it. How many paid apps do you have? What about streaming services? It's easy to get to 12. And while you're looking, you might just realize there are a lot of subscriptions that you don't even use. And that's where Rocket Money comes in to save the day. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. And don't worry, friends, it's not just you that forgot that they had subscriptions. More than 80% of people fall into this category, including myself. Thanks to Rocket Money, I realized that I had once again fallen victim to the one-week free trial with the Paramount Plus app. I subscribed thinking I would just watch the real-world New Orleans reunion, which I did, and it was fantastic. But after that, I just plain forgot I had the subscription. I actually paid $11.99 a month for six months, which means I paid over $70 for something I had stopped using almost immediately. With Rocket Money, I simply clicked cancel in the app and Rocket Money took care of the rest. There's no more hold times for you or dealing with back and forth messaging with an agent. Let Rocket Money be your money butler. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash moms. That's rocketmoney.com slash moms. Rocketmoney.com slash moms. Now back to the episode. So before the break, we were discussing CJ's mom, Patty, getting this call and realizing that CJ has been shot. She has no idea what his condition is. She sends her daughters over to the house to check on him, and she is trying to get there as quickly as possible. So at about 8.35 p.m., first responders arrived at a really chaotic scene. Lydia, her mom, and her sister were all inside the house screaming while Abby and another child ran around the house confused and scared. EMTs told everyone to get out of the house while they worked on delivering life-saving treatments to CJ, who was still in the bedroom where he had been shot. Sadly, their attempts were not successful, and they were unable to save CJ's life. He was pronounced dead at the scene, just 24 years old at the time of his murder. It was noted that CJ was completely unarmed. However, the sheriff's office recovered two guns from Cody. He was then placed in handcuffs. Soon, Alyssa and Sierra arrived at the house and saw that the road had been blocked off and that there were numerous emergency vehicles there, including an ambulance. So the two sisters get out of the car, they run up to the house, demanding to know where their brother was. They noticed that CJ's car was actually there and running in the driveway, but the emergency responders wouldn't tell them anything. 
Eventually, though, the EMTs asked the girls who their brother was, and they said his name was CJ, but authorities still wouldn't tell them anything that was going on. So at that moment, the sisters had no idea whether CJ was alive or not, or where he even was. All they could do was stand there and wait, wondering what happened. About 10 minutes after the sisters arrived, they saw Cody being escorted outside in handcuffs. Alyssa yelled, quote, what did you do? End quote. Cody responded by looking up at her and smiling. Alyssa actually lunged towards him and officers had to restrain her while Cody was placed in the back of a police car. The next person the sisters saw brought out of the house was Lydia. She was crying and clearly upset, and Sierra started yelling at her. Lydia's mom came outside to talk to CJ's sisters and told them that he had been shot and that he was dead. Everything really became a blur after that. A detective spoke to the sisters while Patty continued to call nonstop looking for answers, but the girls just couldn't bring themselves to answer the phone and tell their mom that her only son was gone. They just didn't want her to hear that news over the phone. Meanwhile, Patty went straight to the hospital because she assumed that after her long drive, surely CJ is going to have been taken there by this time. But when she got there, he wasn't there. Remembering that everybody in their family shared locations with each other, Patty frantically opened her phone to see where all of her kids were at. When she saw that CJ, Alyssa, and Sierra's phones were all at the same place, all at Lydia's mom's house, that's when she started to get a really bad feeling. It had now been an hour since she had gotten the news that CJ had been shot, and she hadn't heard any updates since then. She started heading over to Lydia's mom's house herself. Finally, just as Patty was about to arrive, her daughter Sierra called her, and Patty says that she knew in her heart at that moment why Sierra was calling. So she answered the phone, and she just said, quote, do not tell me anything. Patty continued her drive to the house until she got to the roadblock where a detective approached her and told her that she couldn't go in. Patty asked the detectives if she could just sit with CJ, and they told her they just couldn't let her do that. The detective then told Patty that she needed to be CJ's voice. She needed to go to court, and she needed to get custody of her granddaughter, Abby. He said that's the best thing that she could do. Later that night, Lydia's sister did end up bringing Abby over to Patty. When Patty and her daughters left Lydia's mom's house that night, they still didn't know exactly what happened to CJ. All they knew was that Cody had shot him and that CJ was killed. An autopsy later showed that CJ had been shot in the chest with the bullet puncturing his lung and exiting through his back. The bullet went all the way through CJ's body and ended up in the wall of the bedroom that he had been shot in. At the police station, Cody told officers that he shot CJ in self-defense after fearing that CJ was going to hit him in the face. Cody also said that he had video recorded the entire shooting as well as called 911 prior to pulling the trigger. So through this video and the 911 tapes, investigators were able to piece together what they think happened. And we're going to break that down for you starting with the 911 call. It was 8.30 when Cody dialed 911 from inside Lydia's mom's home, but he didn't say anything to the dispatcher. He just kept the line open. The dispatcher listened for the next minute or two as CJ and Lydia had this conversation. Lydia was heard screaming, CJ, stop. And then CJ is heard, not yelling, just in a normal voice saying, quote, why can't I just talk to him like a man, end quote. Lydia then said, quote, because you don't want to talk, you want to fight, end quote. 
and CJ said again in this completely calm voice that he just wanted to talk. There are some inaudible words exchanged after that, and the tape is a little hard to decipher, but the next thing that can be heard is CJ's voice saying, quote, go ahead, shoot me, bro, end quote. And a few seconds later, the unmistakable sound of a gunshot is heard. Cody grabbed the phone moments after the shot and plainly stated that he had to just shoot someone for assaulting him. And he told the dispatcher that he had it all on recording too. Cody said that he had shot his girlfriend's baby dad is what he called him. And that CJ quote, just came into the room and he's been trying to assault me. He tried to take the gun out of my hand. So I had to pull the trigger. He tried to hurt me end quote. By the way, in this call, Cody's voice is completely emotionless as he's saying all this, almost as if he's reading a script or maybe he's rehearsed what he's had to say. Before first responders had arrived, Cody told the dispatcher on the phone that he believed CJ died from the gunshot. Now, as for the video, it of course goes without saying that CJ's family never wants this video to see the light of day. Of course, the only people who should ever see something like that are the investigators working on the case. And thankfully, the prosecutor vowed to never release the tape to the media. But the video was a huge part of the investigation. So we are going to talk a little bit about what the detectives at least were able to determine after seeing it. When CJ got to Lydia's mom's house to drop Abby off, he left his car running and walked Abby up to the door, having no idea that Cody was inside the house. Since Lydia's mom had this rule about CJ and Cody not being there at the same time, CJ was surprised to see him there. It was later learned that Cody actually was at the house earlier that day, but he left because he knew that CJ was going to be dropping Abby off. However, he came back before that time, so he came back before CJ actually got there. So when CJ arrived, Lydia let him inside despite the fact that Cody was in there, and the two men went to the dining room table and had some kind of a talk but we're not really sure what this talk was about or what was said. Next, Cody got up from the table and walked back into a bedroom, leaving the door open. And this is when he dialed 911 and laid the phone down so the dispatcher could hear what happened next. Cody laid down on the bed in the room and took out his gun. And then he took Lydia's phone and propped it up between his legs to record a video. The video showed that Lydia's sister walked into the room first, followed by Lydia, who was holding Abby, and then CJ. They all noticed that Cody had his gun out, so Lydia, who was still holding Abby, stepped in between Cody and CJ. The video shows that during this part of the argument, Cody has the gun pointed directly at Abby, which is something that haunts the family to this day. CJ started repeating, get Abby out of the room. She doesn't need to see this. Get Abby out of the room. You know, put the gun away. My kid is in this room. CJ is then heard saying, quote, I thought we were going to have a man-to-man conversation. Why do you have a gun out? End quote. Cody said that if he put down the gun, CJ was just going to attack him. But CJ assured him again that wasn't the case. He said, no, I'm not. Put the gun down. My child is in here. CJ and Cody began arguing again, and at some point, Cody actually got up from the bed. Lydia comes back into the room and said to CJ, quote, your daughter's out of the room now. Come out, end quote. At this point, CJ and Cody are in the heat of this argument, and CJ says that he's not going to leave, but Cody should be the one to leave. Meanwhile, throughout this argument, CJ kept saying, quote, I don't know why you have this gun out, end quote. So there's more back and forth about who should leave, and this all ensues in the midst of a scuffle. CJ actually moves to smack the gun in Cody's hand, 
towards the wall, but he didn't actually touch Cody. So he was aiming to hit this gun to get it away from Cody. CJ is then seen backing away from Cody just moments before Cody fired the gun, hitting CJ in the chest. Now, the timing of this is important to note because if Cody had shot CJ at that same moment that CJ went to smack the gun away, he could maybe have claimed self-defense, but CJ didn't touch Cody and he backed away. A few moments passed and then Cody fired the gun. So it wasn't like a, a reaction thing. This was a few, a few moments before he actually fired it. So right after being shot, CJ said, quote, what did you do to me? And quote, he then said, quote, Lydia, call the police, end quote. And those were the last words CJ ever spoke. Cody announced that the police were already on the phone and Lydia started screaming in the background, quote, what did you do? Help me, help me, end quote. And this was what they're assuming is her trying to help save CJ. And Lydia keeps saying to Cody, quote, you're going to jail. And she was saying this over and over. And Cody finally replies, quote, I know, I'm ready. Cody picks up the phone and tells the dispatcher in this robotic tone, quote, I just had to shoot someone for assaulting me, end quote. So somehow, Cody was released from custody at about 1130 the morning after the shooting. At that time, he was not charged with anything in relation to CJ's death, and there wouldn't be charges brought on him for weeks. That same day, Patty went to the police station hoping they could give her some answers. She wanted to know if CJ had done something wrong. And the detective told her, no, CJ had absolutely not done anything wrong. He told her everything they knew at that time, and he asked her to fill out a witness statement about the issues that CJ and Cody had with each other in the past. After this meeting, the Sayers family started planning CJ's funeral, and Patty filed for custody of Abby, which she was granted. Abby lived with Patty for the next seven weeks. As the word about CJ's death started getting out, the media began reporting on it, which only led to even more emotional pain for his family. Some of the articles incorrectly reported the facts, and it made it seem like CJ was somehow partly responsible for his own death. One article stated that CJ had gone to Lydia's house earlier that day to drop Abby off and then went back later, and that's when the shooting happened. And this was hurtful because it made it seem like CJ was trying to provoke Cody by going back. But that's not even what happened. He only went to Lydia's house one time that day. Some reports also mentioned that there were two guns found at the scene, but they left the details out that they both belonged to Cody. So these vague reports made it seem like CJ also had a gun. But in reality, as we said, CJ was completely unarmed. He was legitimately just there to drop Abby off in a routine custody exchange. Meanwhile, detectives were still continuing their investigation into CJ's death. One thing they were working on was going through Cody and Lydia's phones and looking for any evidence that CJ's death may have been premeditated. Cody's phone showed several instances of suspicious activity. There were multiple searches on the dark web for things like stand your ground laws, as if Cody was studying what actually constitutes self-defense. It was also learned that Cody had sent several text messages where he explicitly talks about killing CJ. There were these texts to Lydia that showed that Cody believed CJ was the only thing standing in the way of his happiness. On Lydia's phone, investigators found that she and Cody had filmed a video in the day before the shooting in the same room. In that video, they could see a mirror propped up on the dresser. But in the video of the shooting, that same mirror had been moved to what they're calling a strategic area. 
Authorities think that this mirror was either moved so that Cody could see CJ coming into the room or so that the mirror wouldn't get shattered when Cody fired a shot at CJ. But they definitely believe that this mirror had been moved on purpose. They also believe that the scene had been staged to purposely fit a self-defense narrative. Investigators also went through CJ's phone. They found Snapchat messages between him and Cody that CJ had saved. In one of the messages, CJ said, quote, next time you pull a gun out around my kid, I'm going to kick your blank, end quote. And so the wording is important here to the police because CJ specifically did not say something like, I'm going to kill you or I'm going to shoot you. He basically said, I'm going to beat you up if this happens again. And like the prosecutor would later point out, wouldn't anyone be furious if someone pulled a gun out around their child? I was thinking about this and I was like, there's kind of no limits to how angry I'd be in a situation. And the like things that. that you might say, you know, and anger, oh, like, yeah. I'm, like I could definitely see saying like, I'm going to beat the crap out of you if you do yeah. that again. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Some of the worst things I could say in a moment like that, for sure. So after all of this evidence so far, it's clear that CJ had never threatened to kill Cody at any point prior to or even during the shooting. CJ didn't even have a weapon on him when he was around Cody. The only person that was bringing guns around and making threats to use them to kill someone was Cody. The obvious conclusion that the detectives came to was that Cody's claims of self-defense were completely unfounded and that it was Cody himself who had spent time thinking about shooting CJ and planning how to get away with it by claiming self-defense. On March 4th, Cody was indicted by a grand jury on six charges, one count of aggravated murder, three counts of murder, and two counts of felonious assault. Each of these charges included a firearm specification. Cody ended up being arrested in a traffic stop that was carried out by the Northern Ohio Violent Fugitive Task Force. He was taken to jail, and his bond was set at $500,000. CJ's family attended every single one of Cody's hearings, which the prosecutor in the case said was extremely rare and really spoke volumes about how much they cared about CJ and just desperately wanted justice for his murder. Being in the courthouse and coming face-to-face with Cody's family every day wasn't an easy thing for the Sayers family. It was actually torment for them because Cody's family thought that the whole thing was a big joke, and they would laugh and smirk at the Sayers when they walked by. One of Cody's family members actually would go around bragging about how Cody had killed CJ in self-defense. In a frustrating turn of events, a newly passed law about how jail bonds need to be affordable for defendants led to Cody's bond being reduced to $25,000. So Cody managed to post bond thanks to this, and he was released on house arrest on March 24th. Cody was still allowed to go to work, but he did have to wear a GPS tracker. There was a no-contact order put in place between Cody and the Sayers family, which also included little Abby. And it also included Lydia, who at this time had regained custody of Abby. So we mentioned before that Patty had custody of Abby for seven weeks. But after Abby did go back to living with her mom, Patty went from seeing her every day to only being able to see her every other weekend for a few hours. After his release from jail, Cody still couldn't follow these basic rules, and he continued to see Lydia despite this no-contact order. So when the state found out about this, they motioned to have his bond revoked, but the judge denied this motion and instead ordered Cody to stay on house arrest 24-7, meaning only his work privileges were revoked, but he could still stay at home. 
The judge also revoked the no contact order, giving Cody the freedom to be around both Lydia and Abby. What in the world? Yeah, that is probably one of the more surprising things in this story. Um, just because I don't understand. That under- was revoked. Right. And just because I don't really understand why. You know, this is a little small child. This person has been, you know, indicted for murdering her father in front of her. And the judge is like, it just doesn't make sense because there's no reason to revoke the no contact order in this case. Right. Yeah. I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense. So at this point, contact was cut off with Patty. Even though she had a legal right to see Abby, Lydia no longer allowed it. And this went on for months and months until they went back to court. On October 28th, Cody filed a notice of intent to assert self-defense in his trial. His jury trial was set for November 15th. Cody ended up picking a bench trial, and the reason he possibly did this was because his defense team knew that the judge in his case, um, his son, had actually been involved in a murder when he was right around Cody's age, and he was actually serving time for that crime. You heard that right. The judge's son was serving time in connection with a murder, and he is residing over this murder case, which... I feel like there's a conflict of interest there, but what do I know? think, yeah. I I mean, at the very least, it just feels very unfair. Yeah, totally. So this is also the same judge who did away with this order of protection and let Cody move back in with Lydia and Abby. So right before the trial was set to begin, prosecutor Chris Pierre sat down with CJ's family and told them that there was a plea deal on the table for Cody and that Cody had already signed it. Chris wanted to know if the family was okay with going forward with this deal. And Chris explained to a family that a jury would almost certainly convict Cody. But that wasn't possible since Cody asked for a bench trial. So since it's going just to a judge, who knows what's going to happen. He said also that the judge in this case is a wild card. And it's really anyone's guess what could have happened with him at a trial. But with a plea, Cody would have a guaranteed conviction and sentence. The Sayers family agonized over this decision that night and ultimately felt like it was too difficult of a decision to make, so they met with the prosecutor again the next day. So Chris Pierre ended up making the decision for him. He said he was going to do what CJ would want, which is to get Cody away from his little girl. So Chris said he was going to have Cody take the deal so he would be sent off to prison. I can't imagine making that kind of decision, but when he says it like that, like that is the ultimate goal of what he would want in this point. And that makes total sense to me. For sure. And the Sayers family agreed with this decision. And we still have more to get into after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Back in the fall of 2017, in Rancho Tehama, California, a man and his wife are driving their car to a doctor's appointment when out of nowhere, they're struck by another car, sending them flying off the road. The couple were disoriented and stumbled out of the car. And as they were trying to make sense of the situation, they hear dozens of gunshots whizzing past them. This was far more than a wreck. This was just the beginning to a much larger nightmare that was unraveling in their small town. The podcast, This Is Actually Happening, presents a special limited series called Point Blank. This series sheds light on the forgotten spree killings in Rancho Tehama, where one lone gunman devastated a small community while attacking eight different locations in just 25 minutes. 
This tragedy was overshadowed by the Las Vegas shooting that had dominated the headlines just a few weeks before, and this small community quickly faded from view and was left to pick up the pieces of this unbelievable tragedy. The series follows five stories of people who were connected with the incident, from a father who drew the gunman away from the local school to the sister of the shooter. These stories are riveting and really will stick with you long after you listen. What really stuck out to me in this series, beyond the fact that I had never even heard of this tragedy, was just hearing so many different perspectives of the same story. It's not often we hear from the family of the perpetrator, but you get a real sense of what not only the victims go through in a situation like this, but what the families of the perpetrators go through as well. Follow This Is Actually Happening wherever you listen to podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Starting something new can be challenging, even when it's something you're doing to take care of yourself. In fact, as moms, sometimes it's even harder to start that something new when it's something to help you. Taking care of yourself doesn't mean weighing a certain number or fitting into a certain size jeans. Thanks to Noom, taking care of myself means I'm feeling better in my jeans, whatever the size. Noom is all about progress and not perfection, which is like nothing else out there. Noom knows that everyone's journey with food and exercise is as unique as they are. Eating better and exercising is important, but that's exactly what it is. Doing better, not doing everything perfectly all the time. That just isn't a sustainable lifestyle. And with Noom, you can choose your level of support, from five-minute daily check-ins to their personal coaching. Having kids means I really want better for my kids than for myself. And by showing my kids healthy ways to eat, I feel like I'm setting them up for a healthy relationship with food, which isn't something we all grew up with. I know as a child of the 80s, the word on the street was diets, all of them. With Noom, I'm able to now look at food as something I enjoy and energy for my body and not as good food or bad food. Stop chasing health trends and build sustainable, healthy habits with Noom's psychology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com moms. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash moms to sign up for your trial today. Check out Noom's first ever book, The Noom Mindset, a deep dive into the psychology of behavior change, available to buy now wherever books are sold. It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me, and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable, and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now, baby butts rejoice. New Huggies Skin Essentials are here, a brand new dermatologist-approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great, gentle clean. Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about how the Sayers family was given this news that Cody was given a plea deal and he had already accepted it. And they were trying to decide if they were comfortable with the plea deal or not. So the way that it was explained was that because Cody had chosen to have a bench trial, they didn't know for sure how it would go with this particular judge. So the prosecutor said, at least if we can get him to take the plea, this is a guaranteed conviction and he will guaranteed have to serve a sentence versus potentially being acquitted. Nothing. In, yeah. Right, exactly. 
So the family accepted it, and that's what they were going forward with. On November 15th, Cody formally accepted the plea deal and pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter, which is a first-degree felony, with a gun specification. He faced a maximum sentence of 14 to 19 years. His sentencing hearing was held on December 15th. Prosecutor Chris asked the judge to sentence Cody to the maximum sentence. He said, quote, Despite the conflict that we all acknowledge existed between CJ and Cody, the defendant did not need to brandish a firearm. The defendant did not need to fire his firearm, and CJ Sayers did not need to die. The judge usually did this thing where he would let these defendants go home and then report to jail at a later date. So Prosecutor Chris also asked that the judge not do that with Cody. He wanted to give the Sayers family the satisfaction of being able to watch Cody be taken out of the courtroom in handcuffs. I'd be interested to know if he did this before his son was involved in a crime or after. Me too. Right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the defense also made their case, and they asked the judge for something closer to the minimum sentence, alleging that Cody feared that he would have to act in self-defense because of his prior history with CJ. CJ's family also addressed the court. Patty said that the loss of CJ ruined two lives, CJ's and his now three-year-old daughter's. Patty told the court that CJ loved Abby very much and she will never remember her father and will likely have to undergo years of counseling after seeing Cody pull a gun out in front of her. Patty told the court that Cody didn't have any remorse and he never tried to apologize to them. She said, quote, I would like the court to know that when we come to court, Cody laughs at us. That's no remorse for killing someone. She said she hopes one day that he shows remorse. She also hopes that she's able to forgive him, but it's difficult because the loss of CJ is permanent. Patty also said, quote, it's really hard to be graceful to try to forgive and forget, and I hope someday he really does show remorse because I know he doesn't feel it now, but he did take a human life that didn't need to be done. It really didn't. People argue in life, and you don't have to kill someone over arguing with someone. And I know he's going to go on someday probably to have a family and get to raise his own kids, but my granddaughter's never going to remember her dad. Hmm. CJ's sisters, Sierra and Alyssa, also addressed the court. Sierra said her brother was someone that would do anything for anyone, and she talked about all the things he'd be missing out on now. She said, quote, He got robbed of so many things in his life. Most importantly, he got robbed of seeing his two-year-old daughter grow up. He never got to get married or travel or to live a normal life. He would never leave or hang up the phone without an I love you at the end. It's been 319 days since we've seen or talked to our brother. We are still trying to process how to go through our lives without seeing CJ due to senseless gun violence. End quote. In an interview with the Chronicle Telegram following the proceedings, Patty expressed concerns about the rights of Abby, noting that she had been living in a home with Cody since the shooting, and Patty had been unable to visit her. She said, quote, I think the justice system has definitely failed her, and she was literally there that night in the room. He had the gun pointed right at her in one of the clips, end quote. Patty said the justice system as a whole needs to change in stepping up for victims. Cody also addressed the court, and he claimed he'd never been given the chance to express remorse to the Sayers family. He said the decision he made that day is something he'll have to live with for the rest of his life, and he hopes the family understands that he, quote, tried to be friends with CJ, end quote. He said he tried to have a good relationship with CJ for his daughter and tried to avoid him at all cost. Cody said he wished the shooting never happened and he wished he had never gone back to the house that night. Finally, he said, quote, 
So I just want to take this time to apologize to everybody. And I hope you understand I did not kill him out of spite or jealousy, but only to survive, end quote. The judge told Cody that he believed Cody didn't think his actions through. With that being said, the judge also added, quote, You know, there's an old saying, you brought a gun to a knife fight. Well, you brought a gun when there was not even a knife. I am so sick and tired of sitting up here and seeing the youth of this county settle disputes with guns, end quote. He said he understood that CJ allegedly did a lot to aggravate Cody, but that didn't mean he needed to resort to violence. The judge told Cody that he was a danger to society because he still didn't understand the gravity of the situation. He said, quote, you still think that you're justified in what you did, and you're not. You think you know the law because, you know, you Google things, and you think Google tells you everything you got to do, end quote. Prosecutor Chris said that letting Cody walk would have been like giving someone a blueprint to kill someone else. Finally, it was time to hear what sentence the judge was going to hand down. Cody was given 8 to 12 years for the manslaughter conviction, plus 3 years for the gun specification. This means that Cody would serve a minimum of 11 years. Upon his release, he will have to spend another 2 to 5 years on post-release control, and he will have to register as a violent offender for 10 years. Lastly, the judge granted the prosecutor's request that Cody be taken into custody immediately so that the Sayers could see him being let out in handcuffs. Today, Cody is in Belmont Correctional Institution where he will serve a minimum of 11 years with no opportunity to get out for good behavior or any other reason. The Sayers family has nothing but gratitude and respect for the prosecution team and for the work that Chris Pierre did to help bring justice that CJ deserved. They said so many good things about him when we talked to them and how much they just wanted to thank him. Yeah. So as we said in the beginning of this episode, we had the opportunity to work directly with the Sayers family. And I will say, Mandy, I think you would agree with me. It was one of the best conversations with them and learning so much about CJ. And it was just... It really was. Yeah. I don't know. It was just really special hearing them imitate his laugh and, you know, stuff like that. Like all these little pieces you don't always get to hear in a story um, of someone's life. It, it was really special. And I'm so thankful that they um, they reached out to us, actually, and wanted us to share CJ's story. And so at the end of our call, we asked what they would like for us to share with our listeners. And they said they want more people to be aware of gun violence and that the issue of fathers' rights to their children is so important because at the end of the day, CJ really died for his child. CJ had a custody agreement with Lydia, which means he should have been able to see his daughter without going through hoop after hoop. Fathers deserve to be a part of their children's lives as well. Patty said, quote, CJ was never perfect. He wasn't always innocent. He did say things he shouldn't have said, but no one deserves to be murdered over nothing. Nothing pretty much. Abby was his child and no father should have to go through what CJ went through. He literally would put his head on my shoulder, a grown man, and cry to me because he can't see his kid or he doesn't know where his kid's at. It's not fair to Abby and it wasn't fair to CJ, end quote. Patty once told the prosecutor that she feels like CJ died for nothing. And the prosecutor told her, quote, your kid died protecting his child. That's the bottom line, end quote. And that just gives me chills. The Sayers family put together a toy drive in CJ's memory in the hope of helping other children affected by gun violence. People from around the community, banks, and more donated toys, which the family then either hand-donated or gave to the prosecutor's office to deliver. Every gift included a card with the message that read, quote, We want you to know we're thinking about you during such a hard time, and we hope to bring you a little Christmas cheer, end quote. 
The toy drive was a huge success and the family plans on doing it every year. And we definitely want to be involved with it this year. As For sure. When we get closer to the holidays, we'll be posting about it and sharing how you guys can get involved with yeah, us. Definitely. So as we said, it's very important to the Sayers family that they keep CJ's memory alive. They had stickers and signs made and they've held vigils and much more. Sierra and Alyssa got tattoos done that they originally had planned to get with CJ before he was murdered. So this is actually kind of cool. One of the sisters was supposed to get a tattoo that read, no matter when, and the other sister would get no matter where, and CJ was going to get no matter what. So Alyssa and Sierra went ahead and got their tattoos, which featured CJ's fingerprints in the shape of a heart, and then CJ's words, no matter what, were then put on a memorial bench. So I think I thought that was such a really sweet yeah. way um, to memorialize and honor their brother. Totally. So CJ's family said that right before CJ was murdered, they all took Abby to Disney on ice, and that was the last place that they all went together. CJ actually had to work, so he could only stay until halftime, but he drove all the way out to the event center just to attend the show with Abby anyway. And his mom asked him why he drove all the way out there and paid $20 or $30 to park the car when he wasn't even going to be able to stay the whole time. And CJ said, quote, because I'm going to be there for her. I'm going to be a dad that's here for my kid, end quote. When they were going through CJ's phone, the prosecutor found thousands upon thousands of photos and videos of Abby and of CJ and Abby together. And one of these videos particularly stuck out to him. So he put it on a disc and gave it to the Sayers family, knowing that Abby might like to see it someday. So in this video, CJ and Abby are riding in the car and CJ is filming while he sings to her. So in lieu of Last Thing Before We Go this week, we thought it would be nice to play the audio from that video in remembrance of CJ. Thank you guys so much for listening this week. And thank you to the Sayers family for sharing CJ's story. It's heartbreaking and incredible what the family has been able to do and uh, the way they're just trying to keep CJ's memory alive. And we hope uh, by sharing his story today, that helps keep his memory alive as well. And that's the episode for this week. And Mandy, we will be back next week, right? Yes, we will. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye.